You are now locked into Radio Juxtapose, the home of contemporary art and culture conversation. Coming up today. I'm married to someone who doesn't believe in collaboration. However, we're married. And one might say that that was a collaboration. I think how he talked me into having a baby was he said, because I was really like on the fence about it. Because I think in my mind, I knew it was going to be a lot of work. I tend to shy away from work. He was like, Carissa, it will be our greatest collaboration if we have a baby. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. This is Radio Juxtapose. What is up, everybody? Thank you for listening to the Radio Juxtapose podcast. And I know we are mostly used to Doug's wonderful Scottish accent to kick off these podcasts today. You have me, Evan Preco, doing the introduction for what is what I like to call the unexpected podcast. I had planned to talk to my friend, People I've Loved, Krista Potter, for a long time uh, in a more recorded interview format, and we hadn't done it, even though we'd been working together for the past, I guess, 12 months now that we've been in the pandemic. And even though we live about 10 miles away from each other, we actually haven't physically seen each other. We've only been Zooming, voice calling, all the things that we've kind of grown accustomed to now in this new world. But seeing that her art career and her brand, People I've Loved, is so centered around connections with other people, the loss of connection, the longing for connection, it seemed like it was the appropriate time to have a a conversation with her about a year into what is our new life. What I've always appreciated about Chris's work is this vulnerability, this actual openness to feel upset or to feel confused or to ask for connection. Uh, Something that you don't necessarily see that much in the contemporary art world, but what she has been able to do with her career is turn that emotional release and that need for emotional connection into not only a brand that we've come to recognize, but also a painting and fine art career that has exceeded what I even feel as the expectations for art. What The reason why I wanted to talk to Krista today of all days was I'm so curious about the connection that we feel with art, but also the conversations that we have around art in, in regards to vulnerability. And one of the things that she does so well with her art is she, she explains it, she shows you, she writes the words out, and these words carry such a heavy meaning that uh, it that I think we all can relate, and I think we all need to relate. The initial reason I was talking to Carissa was because we juxtaposed had a print release with her um, a few weeks back, but what ended up happening in this conversation is it, it dawned on me that she's so eloquent and so passionate about the subjects that she works with, and it seemed like it was something that I wanted to document further. She and I have been working on this project, If You Were Here Now, for the past year, that was sort of putting into context and perhaps a more interview and uh, video format some of these conversations that she's been having with her artwork, but also keeping creative people connected during a time when we were sort of uncertain about what 
our creative professional careers were going to lead to. And also, I just, I love speaking with Krista. I love getting advice from her. I love the fact that she asks me the hard questions that I don't even ask myself when I'm working. So I hope that this podcast conversation is is helpful in a way, but also just watching and listening to a person who is doing a lot of the hard work in terms of not only herself, but also helping us get through what has been one of the most chaotic and crazy periods that um, we've all lived through. This is fun because like, I feel like I, I never get to do these conversations with somebody I have a little bit of a like a background with. I feel like you have a background with everybody, though. No, 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 no. This is like we've kind of gone through this year together in a weird way. Actually, in a weird way, it's true because we like didn't know each other at all prior to 2020. And then when everything hit, we just happened to be in the right place at the right time to like know each other or have someone this connected connective person in both of our lives that kind of like we both rely on heavily it's funny i i I woke up this morning feeling like a sense of relief that you know i don't want to say that like the last four years have been i've had there's been a lot of great things that have happened in my life in the last four years but also just uh this there's like this little bit of anxiety that's kind of it's kind of gone now. And I know it's like, I don't want to mention him by name, but I, there is something kind of just like, oh, I don't have to do, de- it's not happening anymore. At least he's not in charge anymore. I think, I mean, yeah, it's true. I didn't, uh, this morning we were talking about being cautiously optimistic for the future again, um, which is kind of like a, a new thing and who knows what that will actually look like. But I have to say, I I was like readily addicted to my newsfeed, um, seeing what stupid thing this person had done every 20 minutes. And now that it's not my newsfeed anymore, it's kind of great. I thought I'd miss it, uh, but actually I, I don't. Like I'm totally fine with not seeing Anderson Cooper for a minute. I'm totally fine. I don't know, I, I like Anderson Cooper. Well, I know, I do too. Well, I also woke up with Michael Bolton's How Am I Supposed to Live Without You in my head this morning. <laughs> so, I don't know. So, wait, so why do you feel like you have Michael Bolton going on? Well, my buddy Nissan did send me a Michael Bolton song the other day and uh, was like, hey, this song kind of bangs. And I was like, it kind of does. It wasn't that song. It was another Michael Bolton song I can't think of right now. But now I have Michael Bolton stuck in my head the last like three or four days. I think we should run with it. You know, but actually, I think like even if you were, I'll say, it, even if you were a Trump supporter, I still think they might feel a sense of relief too, and they won't admit it. But even their anxiety level is probably going to drop a little bit. So why do you say that? Because I think, and I know we're going to talk about art at some point, but I do. I think, I think he had a a, a bigger pull on people's emotions than they even cared to admit. Because I think that a lot of people didn't realize that they had this power to say offensive things to people and be mean to people so vocally and openly. And I think that actually gave people extra sense of anxiety and power that I think maybe they'll feel happy that they don't have that everyday anger being built up. I don't know. You might be right. You might be wrong. I I, I think that for me, 
I just to push back on that, it's unfortunate that I don't know, I'm not in close contact with a lot of people who supported um, Trump because I live in the Bay Area. I think that for them, I would presume that they're feeling how we felt when he was elected. And that was not, there was a daily the other day that interviewed people um, who had gone to the Capitol on the 6th. And we're talking about how they were like really afraid of socialism and communism and all of the like horrible things that the Biden-Harris sort of presidency would look like. And so I think that that maybe raises their anxiety. I don't know. Why are people afraid of socialism again? I don't know. It was it was drilled into our heads as kids. I mean, you grew up in Minnesota. I grew up here and I grew up in Oakland, California. I feel like no matter where you grew up in the United States, we were beat over the head that uh, socialism was just the, the worst thing, right? I mean, I feel like, isn't that kind of a collective thing that we all went through? I don't know. I didn't feel that way. I don't think I got that. No, uh, Minnesota is actually quite socialist in its thinking. So I never really got that. I never really got that beat into my head about that it was bad. Oh, that's interesting because Minnesota has so many um, Scandinavian uh, like connections. We're a large part Scandinavian and German. Uh, it's definitely shifting, but when I, which is good, it, it's becoming more diverse, obviously. I think growing up, we thought, why wouldn't you take care of like our collective good? Also, I think extreme climates, like we needed each other in a way that maybe other climates didn't. It's hard because like you don't have that same sort of commitment in places like Detroit. It's got a little bit of a different ethos. I feel like when I think about Detroit, I think about like a, a bit more capitalism and like innovation and cars for whatever that's worth, maybe. Do you think that, like, because I feel like the Bay Area people are very sheltered off emotionally. Do you, do you agree with that? Can you tell me what you mean by that? Okay, so I feel like because there's very few natives here, um, you know, my I'm going on third generation here. I think because there's so many transplants, I feel like the, the mishmash sort of led a lot of people to be maybe um, socially progressive but also a little standoffish like i feel like we have more connected with new york than we do los angeles that might be true i'm gonna i don't know though i really i feel like i grew up my extended family's from los angeles and i feel like i grew up really like not necessarily not in line with the culture but i didn't feel like my opinion was appreciated there or like my i didn't feel like i fit in there but i realized that like l is just so massive you just have to find the right spot Whereas I feel sim it must be similarly to New York. Maybe. I don't know. I wish I could give you a hard answer on that. I do feel like when you get to the Bay Area, you're right, we're all a lot of transplants. And finding a community is really important, essential to like getting through. I feel like I don't know how people will do it without school or like... I feel really fortunate to have been able to do it in person. Yeah, that's a weird thing. I mean, did do you? That's it. That's I've actually been meaning to ask you this. Like, if you were to be somebody coming out of art school now, could you be making the art that you're making now? Yes. Okay. Explain. Well, I don't. I feel really lucky that the sort of topic of choice for me. <laughs> Of, of like the human condition and, and what sort of connects us 
uh, is pretty with us. Like, I, I don't think it's going to like go out of style, if that makes sense. My work uh, or the things that I make may go out of style, but like the, I, the fascination with humans and what our place is on this planet, I think is everlasting. I think like for me, you would just find different mediums to do it. Like for example, I, when I started out, I started out making zines because we we're doing everything in person and there was a tactile quality. I, I mean, I'm sure every, everybody loves books. They feel good in your hands. They mm-hmm. weigh things Paper, down. Paper's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I yeah. love it. Yeah. But now I think like a, for me, a lot of, a lot of my practice, if you can call it a practice has transferred to like online content. Um, and so I think you absolutely could do the same now as what I've been working on. And unless I misunderstood your question. With people I've loved, let's say, let's start with people I've loved. You are able to be, I assume those things that you're writing are coming from you and your feelings. They're not just like found, it's not like found feelings. Can I, you know what I mean? Like they're personal feelings, correct? I think I would say like 90% are. Okay. Um, okay. I think that what I want to, how I want to push back on that is that I don't think that humans are that individual as they like to think that they are, or I like to think that I am. So it's hard for me to really establish the boundaries of where my experience and other people's experiences. So like, I may feel like they may come from my life, but I don't know. Is it like something that I was helping my friend go through? Is it something that like my, I was feeling because I read a news article about it and it really like resonated with me? Um, Or was it actually something that like happened to me? It's also like, okay, so did I read that news article four years ago and now finally settling, I'm like seeing it in my life and then have to, I just don't know. I like thinking about them and I do think about them realistically as as collaborations. I'm just not always sure of like the different sort of ingredients that go into it. My practice is not such that I like find a story and try to translate it from somebody else's. Um, It just sort of happens naturally. This is interesting because I think I think you just you're you're saying something that I, I didn't quite realize until just now. It's very hard for people to articulate their feelings, especially it's hard for people to articulate simply their feelings when like things aren't going well. And they feel a lot of people feel like maybe too vulnerable by doing that. But you have kind of you I feel like your work, you kind of are allowing people to ha- have those moments where like, hey, it like longing is okay. Or, you know, uh, feeling, just having feelings in public are okay and like in expressing them. Like, so maybe I, that actually is something I didn't really think that you kind of are helping even your friends kind of deal with certain kind of life situations that are coming up, but especially like in the last year, how needed that is. That's very flattering. I hope that anything that I do might, might make it easier for people to kind of be comfortable in their own skin going back to kind of the, like, I don't understand why people are so afraid of socialism when I don't really understand why people are so afraid of being vulnerable. What's going to happen? People aren't going to leave you? Well, they probably shouldn't have been with you anyway. Do you think it's a limits, a limits of, um, 
Do you think it is the way that maybe we are raised in America a little bit, like where emotions and feelings, like some families do it really well and others just don't do it? I don't know. I mean, probably. Uh, I also think it's a, a, a gender thing. Like I think, no offense to people who identify as male, but I feel like you've been really limited by how and when it's appropriate to express your emotions or feel them. Like you're pretty much only allowed anger. Yeah, or yeah, anger and frustration really, yeah. And even frustration is something that's a little bit on the fine line for, for uh, if people could see me quoting men, you know, like there's this sort of uh, frustration is something like you're not supposed to have frustration, you're supposed to figure it out, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I don't know. So do you feel like now as, as an adult, do you think it's beneficial for you to access a wider range of emotions? Abs- well, absolutely. But I also think that as somebody, like when I was 18 and I would read Catcher in the Rye, let's just use that as an example. I'm just thinking of some book that I've read in the last five years that I reread. I think my emotions when I was 18, I think as a mid 30 year old, I think my, uh, my, my, your feelings evolve and you can actually find new avenues to tap into kind of like what you actually feel. And I think I'm happier now as a, an emotional 39 year old than I ever would have been as an emotional 18. Which is cool. It's like everybody should look forward to getting older because you're kind of learning to cope with life. You actually have skills or I guess. When was the, I guess, okay. So when was the first time Carissa Potter put text next to a drawing and the balance worked as a as a as an artist Ooh, no one's ever asked me that and really I, yeah no i was um, i was worried that that was gonna be the question like you've been people have said so many times to you but like i think there's something so unique about putting text with artwork and you do it so well but it's the balance and the composition where you're like hey this actually can work as something you know i think probably probably like high school art class of like Oh, okay. It goes that far back. Okay, cool. I love it. Well, it's weird to think like, I don't know if other people can relate to this, that they, they've been sort of like working on the same project. If you like, just go back far enough. Like I have like different ways of sort of containing it, but, or categorizing it, thinking it's new and finding exciting, exciting new sort of elements to it. But it's actually the same thing since high school. And so I, I, I look back on like, you know, when you like go to your like parents or grandparents house and you go through like the old boxes of drawings that they've saved of yours from high school. And you're like, oh my God, this is so horrible. I can't believe I did this and was so excited about it. But it's actually talking, having the same conversation just over and over and over and over again. And you think I'd be sick of it now, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm not, I've never been very talented in terms of like rendering or drawing, which is to say, it's funny that I do it all the time. I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, but like, but that's like that's like a comparison. Like that's like um, that kind of I don't know. Like that that's a that's such a different a technical like I don't know maybe a technical skill. I don't know. It's kind of a it's a weird thing because in juxtapose there's always this thing about like the technical application of like how you can paint and stuff and illustration like skills where it's so honed in. Um, but like, there's also what, I don't know. I just think there's such a, I don't know. There's two different worlds, I guess. Maybe. And I think that, I I think that if I was going to say that, uh, a strength that I have is sort of combining the sort of 
words words and comp- composition to kind of convey the most meaning in the most immediate way. And but I think it's like it takes a while to really think about it. They don't they sometimes they come like really easily and other times I have to really like sit with a feeling to kind of go through it in my head and dissect it and find out like keep asking myself why over and over again like why do you feel this way and what are your motivations and yada 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 uh it really depends on the day i wish i could come up with a formula for like oh write one sentence and then draw one thing and then it just poof happens but it just doesn't i i'm really envious of people who have technical skills <laughs> like really envious do you go into modes like, do you go into Chris Potter artist mode and people I've loved mode, or do they just blend all the time and you kind of can find, because when you do an art show, it's Chris Potter, but when you do certain things for your business, it's people I've loved, correct? Is there, is there two brains or is it just, it's one, it's one Chris Potter brain. So I think it's easier for people. It is one brain. I don't think, okay. but it's actually one of many brains. It just has my name attached to it. <laughs> I think it's easier for people to understand. Uh, having, having communication, I feel like is so hard and complicated. Um, I think having categorizing, understanding categories and how they sort of work as systems of communication is helpful. Like when you sit next to someone on a plane, if you ever, go on a plane again and you have to like describe to them what you do like it's a lot easier to just say oh I'm a I'm a pediatrician or but I can't say that because that would be a lie but um I might say that (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna go we're gonna go back to that actually in a second I I don't know how to easily translate what I do so people can understand it and then if they connect to it great if they don't they don't but I think as as I'm as I keep going, I really don't see any differences. Maybe there's a difference in presentation or the use of words or the lack of use of words. Um, but I think those are just kind of like coincidental. When you moved to the Bay Area, what was it was for art school? Yeah, I went to SFAI um, a million years ago. Maybe not a million. <laughs> Not a million years ago. Um, but uh, what was SFAI is like, you know, it's a pretty heavy on the conceptual. I, f- I feel like I maybe I'm reading that wrong. Um, it has a very rich tradition, incredible alumni. What what did you go in to school thinking was going to happen? Oh, that I would immediately find a blue chip gallery that would represent me and I would never have to work again because I was so brilliant and the whole world would fall at my fingertips. You don't know how to respond to that. There's no pressure then. (laughs) Oh, I also (laughs) want to mention in that equation that I would do absolutely no work. Got it. You would just sit in the studio all day long, paint, make a bunch of money and... Just oh, I wouldn't even paint. I wouldn't even make anything. I would just sit there. Oh, okay. You <laughs> okay? So you went into school with no pressure. Just your everything was going to work out. What did you go for? Uh, I went for print, um, and I want to sort of clarify oh, okay. what I meant okay. a little bit. I just think Please. that like <laughs> nobody talks about 
Or like maybe I just didn't want to listen to the like hard work part of it or the like extreme exhaustion or the like, I think the fight, maybe they do talk about it and I just didn't want to hear it because I was so seduced by the sort of like allure of the like successful traditional artist narrative. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about like the competitive kind of fight you have to have in this art world, I think, or creative world. I mean... I flip back and forth from thinking like, oh, it's really competitive. And at, at, at my heart, I am really competitive to the like, it's really there's a space for everybody. And that you just have to find like the audience that's interested in, in what you're doing. And that's sort of the tricky part. So I don't really know. I do think I, I do think I came to the Bay Area mainly because there is a woman I met um, during my post back who... I will name, her name is Pagan Brooke. And she was the first person who I think really asked me in a studio visit what I wanted to do or what I wanted to say. And it seems so simple now, but it really had a profound effect on me. And she taught at SFAI. And I only got into two grad schools and SFAI, I think living in the Bay Area is a seductive thing. And anyone who's ever been to SFAI, I feel like we'll have to agree the campus is stunning. It's just like a really inspiring environment. Uh, And I also, piggybacking off what you said, um, I was interested in more conceptual projects, even though I went to study print. I only got into print programs, so maybe that was another reason. But like, if I think about the, I didn't know this at the time, but if I think about like sort of the trajectory of like mission school or like the Bay Area figurative or, other, like my work is I feel like a natural continuation of that conversation in some ways, using text with images in a weird way that I wasn't expecting. I mean, I think that, first off, I, th- I think that what you're doing is a, a conceptual art project in many ways, but also I'm curious, like, did you have an answer for her, for Peggy Brook, or did you not have an answer and that pushed you? I don't think I did have, I don't think that that question Sorry to be like, I don't think that question is the right question. I think the question for me was, or the, the it wasn't about the answer. It was about that she cared enough to listen. Yeah, got it. Absolutely. And okay. that made me feel like, okay. I, I had just been in in undergrad, the chair of the art art department and in our history department. I, I really love telling the story. He told me my second year of undergrad that I wasn't talented enough to be a studio art major and I wasn't smart enough to be an art history major. So I had to find a different department. And it was crushing because I was like, oh, you know, oh, I, I, and so I became a women's and gender studies major. They were like, come hang out, be with us. Let's talk about whatever you want. Uh, and I, and I, I, I was really, that was really exciting too. I also think I found an advisor, um, there who is very much like, oh, you want to, you want to do this research? You want to make this happen? I'm going to help you make this happen, which I feel like is what faculty should do. And she was great. Her name was Kristen Maple Bloomberg. Shout out to Kristen. Um, Wow. I hope she listens. That's awesome. I think like that I am definitely attracted to environments that sort of are kind and foster and recognize um, sort of people uh, and the art department at the time didn't I didn't think like oh I should transfer because that would be too much effort I just switched majors and all's well that ends well are you are you a good collaborator 
Oh, I don't know. I'm married to someone who doesn't believe in collaboration, um, doesn't believe it's possible. However, we're married. And one might say that that was a collaboration. I think how he talked me into having a baby was he said, because uh, I was really like on the fence about it. Because I think in my mind, I knew it was going to be a lot of work. I tend to shy away from work. Wait, you keep saying this. But, oh, but wait. So he, he was like, Carissa, it will be our greatest collaboration. If we have a baby, so that's when that so that's when he used it. Okay. Uh, right. And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I'll do it." I mean, it was there were lots of conversations, and it took us a really long time to have a baby because it turns out you have to have sex to have a baby. Um, but <laughs> the I'm really happy we did. Uh, but collaboration, I really love. I think the thing that I really love about collaboration is I get really inspired by people. And I also, it's fun for me to collaborate and find out different people's styles of working and like interests. It's just exciting. Like it's really boring in my head because I have access to that information all the time. But like when you work with other people, you get to, I mean, there's all these surprises and excitement and, and you just don't want, know what to expect. And um, it's wonderful sometimes. Other times it's hard and it doesn't work. So it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. But I do think that... Um, I really am motivated by people, uh, externally motivated, and it's 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 lovely to be able to have other people sort of hold you accountable as well, um, and other people that you respect. I think I tend to collaborate with people who I really think that they're the bee's knees. People don't say that, but the really really excited by. Um, which I've been really fortunate to be able to know these people that are really exciting and doing wonderful things that I just want to be a part of. Have you noticed, and that, especially now that you have have a, a child, uh, your baby's one now? Uh, 1.5. 1. 1.5, um, which is one and a half um, in other terms. <laughs> you have a one and a half year old. We've gone through, we're going through this kind of time where we're all at home. Have you felt more motivated or less motivated to be a creator, to be posting things on Instagram, to be doing all your work? Like, do you feel more motivated or less motivated? Because I feel more motivated now to do work. It's just a little bit harder sometimes to get my butt moving at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday, but I'm definitely more motivated. I think it's a mixed bag. Uh, and I think it ebbs and flows depending on the world, but on a whole, I'm so, this is going to sound cheesy. I'm so happy I had a kid and I'm so happy I have that kid. It's, it's really weird how like, I mean, I think parents attach to their children no matter what, but, but you get sort of like, it's special when you, it's just this like phenomenally illuminating relationship that I it's far outside of the realm of possibility uh, that I could have had before. And I think like it has, having a child has really like expanded my emotional gamut. It's like, I don't want to say like, oh, I didn't understand life before Margaret, but I kind of didn't. She, she, the preciousness of everything and the sort of, 
the finite nature, um, the fact that it's constantly ending, um, yet we're fighting so hard to be alive. And I think for me, I've always had sort of issues with depression and it's nice in some ways, even though it's a lot of work to have somebody, somebody else to live for or like who really relies on you. I also think it's, it's amazing like to see the de developmental stages of, of human beings and to sort of recognize uh, traits that, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's for me a mind bogglingly worthy use of my limited time on this planet. I, I love, I love how you described all of that. And I'm, I, was there an ADBC in terms of like, did you, did you ever have a moment where like you, when you were making work where you're like, oh, I that's, that's a new, that's a new thought. That's a new feeling. I didn't have that before. I, I didn't have that in my creative toolkit. And now I have this new thing in my creative toolkit that I, it surprises me. Oh, a hundred percent. I think like the topics and the themes, I think are really like enriched by my understanding of of what it means to be alive. Not to say that there aren't multiple like multiple ways that you could find this. You don't have to have to have a kid by any means. Um, but I do I I do think like the subject matter like reading. I think I've been Margaret was really into birds for some reason. So that's how I feel like I got into birds. Like I wouldn't be into birds if Margaret wasn't into this pigeon that hangs out on the corner. Well, you um, poor kids in Minnesota, you had birds for only a couple months a year and it got too cold. So, you, you know, like it's a Northern California thing, I think. Uh, but I think like her, it's really interesting how her interests, I also think my style is probably shifting like in a real way in that like I, we have to read a lot of board books and like the illustration styles and how they sort of the narrative structure of a board book and sort of the, I mean, how to tell stories through pictures for people who don't have words yet mastered, um, I think is definitely sort of inspiring things in ways that I may not be conscious of. Wow. I didn't even think of that. Is that you, that's like a, that's something that is such a skill is to make make those things mean something to somebody who can't express like what you know besides a couple like smiles and maybe like a little like shake of the body but like it's a skill to be able to communicate that way and you have that you you're really good at that all to begin with but i can see where that could even strengthen your your muscles your muscles on that so i think i i don't know if this is correct or not well, thank you, first of all, and I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I am very flattered that you think that I have that skill. But we were talking the other day of like, she might be in this developmental stage where she still doesn't understand that other people don't have access to her thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, uh, like she started to sort of get sneaky, uh, which is exciting. Cause I mean, for me, sneakiness is like creative right there like uh and like wants to push the up against the boundaries and that's like exciting um but annoying <laughs> but so like how do we like what would it be like if we our consciousness were permeable like if we could 
if, if everybody could understand everything that was going in our minds. The other thing that's new for her right now, which I think is really interesting, is she's having nightmares for the first time. Which, like, why, why are we afraid of certain things? And how do, you, how do those things manifest if you don't have language? Yeah, well, how do those things manifest if you might not even have enough experience in order to be scared of something? <laughs> Absolutely, because you haven't left the house because you've been in right. a global pandemic your entire life. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. Evan, thank you so much for listening I, to my um, child talk. No, I, I, okay, but you, what you did just then, and this is something that's, you, you, you got it right into the whole, the bulk of it. You, it's when you're an artist, or even if you're a writer, you're trying to get your thoughts out into the world in a way that people can understand whatever jumbledness that you're trying to expose your brain a little bit to people. Like I have the hardest time, like I could have the most beautiful sentence in my head and I, I can't quite get it out. Like I can't, I still don't have that perfect skill in the, where I can just like get it out perfectly onto the paper, you know, and just, it's like, oh, it's so perfect. I described everything I wanted to describe about that painting. So we're constantly doing that. You're constantly doing that as an artist. You're trying to get as close as you can to your thoughts out, out into the world. So it must be interesting raising a child and being conscious of the fact that you're trying like of that kind of skill or that kind of the development of like your of your thoughts and your imagination and and having to and maybe how that affects you as a maker. Yeah, it's, I mean it's an exciting ride. Uh, I I wouldn't again without this child I wouldn't have had the sort of concentration or focus to to think about the origins of those sort of lingering needs to try to get out something beautiful or get out anything from one's head onto the page. Um, and I don't know, Evan, you are a writer. You are a phenomenal writer. But you know, but you know what I mean? It's like that, uh, I'm, I, I assume that, uh, William Faulkner sat around with like a big thing of whiskey or whatever, and was trying to get this line out and couldn't get it right. You know, per so like there, I think that's this, that's the goal, right? Is to get that perfect, that perfect sentence or that perfect painting or that perfect line out. And I think that's what, that drives people to keep doing what they do. I think. I think It also so. could drive people to depression and mania, which yeah, that's possible too. But do, I mean, like, do you think in your heart of hearts that exist, exists or what? It, I mean, like, I, I do because I, I still have these things where I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, that's how I'm going to start my editor's letter. That's exactly how I'm going to start it. I'm going to start it with that line or that feeling. Like I, I do that all the time still to this day. I mean, I think I've done almost 200 juxtaposed magazines and I still, I have that moment every single time. And I that's love That's amazing. It. Yeah, I know. It's so, just like, that's why we do this shit because of those moments, right. I feel. Exactly. Um, so how, I mean- When's like? Do you get those every day? Are you kind of that? Where you go, oh, I got it, and then you and you go run off and 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 draw something, or or get it, or get the the sentence out, or how do you do it? Uh, I, I don't get them every day. I wish I got them every day. I love them. I, I wish I did uh, too. It feels yeah. so good. Uh, like that excitement about something. Um, if I could figure out a way to get that every day, I don't know if I need food. I would just live off of it. But the, it's definitely like a drug to have that 
have that inspiration, that sort of cannibal of whatever chemicals are going on in my brain. Anyway, um, but sometimes it's wrong. Like yesterday, and wrong by, uh, I had one yesterday um, when I was in the shower, uh, and then I posted about it. Not about, I didn't describe the moment, but it was about like feeling all of these feelings at the same moment and having this, um, letting myself feel that way. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, I feel like this is going to be really resonant with people like that. They just like give themselves permission to feel all of these conflicting emotions and just let it ride. And it, it didn't work like, uh, the text I came up with, it was, it was, I would say a pretty big failure, <laughs> but I, but I wait, felt wait, but like, that way. Right. I had that feeling of like excitement and like, okay, these are just the perfect words. This is what I want to hear in this moment. And uh, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't, I think for me, the success of something is, it's a weighted question of like, does it make people feel something? Am I excited about it and interested in it? I'm sure there are other things too, but I can't think of them. Does your audience let you fail? Because you have a you have a quite a large following on social media. Like, do they appreciate some of the moments that may might not work? The ones that you think, oh, that didn't really work. Like, do you do you think your audience is is for like goes along on the journey with you a little bit? I don't know. I think that's a good question. I don't, I, I think so. Maybe I think that I, I'm pretty lucky that I have a pretty forgiving audience or accepting of failure and misspellings because I can't spell. I also think that there's a certain amount of like when you share something that's so close to one's heart, it, it evokes a certain amount of compassion and understanding naturally. Um, I think, but sometimes it's not always there. Like, I try really hard to not, I read the comments, but I try really hard not to respond to them. I think for MLK Day, there was a a pretty long thread about how, why we couldn't have MLK be, or I I posted something likening it with Anne Frank or that they would be the same age today if they were both alive. And I think people found that insensitive like that we couldn't just let Martin Luther King have his day. We didn't have to, we, we shouldn't have to compare it to something else. But, um, and I really think that as, a, that as opposed to, as opposed to talking about how close history is to our present, you know, kind of like people weren't reading it that way. I mean, that was how I tried to intend it. I also think that um, it, and people might not be able to relate directly to sort of the, I think that we need these bridges to be able to relate to each other. What I mean is that people understand stories, I think, through their relation to their themselves, if that makes sense. Or like the story makes, like for example, once I had a child, seeing having the children taken away at the border, I don't know if I would have reacted the same way as I had like a visual visceral disgust and horror of like parents being separated from their children because I had a child in a way that I couldn't have 
understood not having a child. I mean, I still think it was horrible, but I, it was like a guttural like disgust. So I think like having these connections and understandings, I think is really important or these shared narratives or understanding narratives through empathy and compassion. That being said, I do think it's also valid that we just focus on Martin Luther King on, on a, so I, I, I don't know the right answer, the right answer. And the women, I, and I don't know if this will, I, I feel like it was, I think it was a really interesting comparison to talk about how, um, the Holocaust and uh, a dictator who took over Europe and the civil rights movement were actually really close to each other. And I thought that was actually something that I didn't even thought of. Um, and I thought that was quite remarkable just to remember how, how, how quick history happens and how like things aren't actually that far apart from each other. And that like, we're still like, we're always going to be a work in progress. I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting in that way. I, I feel like people are just so quickly quick to, um, to think the worst of intentions and that it's, it's really hard these days, I think to, um, to, uh, have a good conversation on social media about this, about anything. So it's hard. I also think like, I don't know. I feel like the person who was, for me, it's helpful instead of get to get on the sort of defense mode of thinking right away. Like, oh, you know, those weren't my intentions. These were my intentions, but more so to like reframe it. Like, oh, this person has, is, is not hurting, but like advocating for what they need right now. And they need what their needs are to feel recognized and, and important. And like, their experience matters and how, how do I give that to them like it's not about me really right this is interesting because juxtapose as a I don't I don't have to function in that way with juxtapose but you've kind of your your audience has kind of gone along on this journey with you and these words and these expressions and these feelings that like there's I think people want I could see where you have a, a little bit like a different relationship with your audience than I do with, with the juxtapose audience? I don't know. I, I hope that my experiences are relatable to the people who um, choose to spend their time looking at, at my work. <laughs> yeah. um, I, it's hard for me to conceptualize it in that I spend all my time at my house I don't I don't leave my house like I don't see anyone like (laughs) it's it's really difficult to think like oh there are actually other people on the other side of this weird block of a phone that I carry around with me everywhere just in case I miss something but I think like it's such a crazy thing that we have this ability to connect in the, in a sort of like very surface way to each other, but it's still like keeping us breathing over this distance um, that we're sort of now facing as a species. What what kind of art moves you? So that's the thing. Uh, I've been really <laughs> oh like I've been really into whatever Margaret's into. That moves you right now. Yeah. Uh, well, because we can't okay. go to museums, we can't go to art shows. Of we course. Can't, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been really into, into, 
into whatever she like she's in now she's into birds and horses no 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 horses whatever okay. but now i'm like oh my gosh horse life we should we should really get a horse like i don't know what i do with horse. i don't know where i keep <laughs> we, it but we, we should, should really get a horse <laughs> Um, or like how to create will, another will a thought pony about like, suffice. You can just get a pony for the front yard. I mean, I really wanted to get chickens and that was really, it was hardcore vetoed. Cause I thought, Oh, this will help her. We're not going to name name. We're not going to name names of who vetoed that, huh? Uh, I mean, there's clearly one person who vetoed it, but I love this person and I really respect that they have a differing view on the topic of chickens. Or a chicken. Doesn't have to be multiple chickens, just one. But no, we'd have to get two because, you know, they, they need friends. Um, and we're not going to let them inside the house, I don't think. We're not getting a chicken, unfortunately. Um, Evan, I have therapy in five minutes. I see a okay, psychologist. So this is, uh, all right, so, okay, here, we, let's do this then. Because um, it'll be right around an hour, it'll be perfect. Um, we barely talked about your art, but can we just talk a little real quick for five minutes about um, the print that you did for Juxtapose? Because um, it's the first print that we've done. It's almost like a still life like this. I'm really excited about doing this with you. Can you talk a little bit about the print, what the show was, where it comes from? Go. Okay. So it came from a show that I had that just came down in Richmond, Virginia. Um, but the piece itself, the show was called I've Been Waiting So Long For You. Uh, and it's sort of about sitting with longing and expectations. And for me, like, what would it feel like or what would the space be like when we can be together again? And like, what would my perfect person be? And how would we how would we just sit together and let sort of the time pass? And so I think like this this particular piece is we kind of have everything we need, but it's just like slightly out of reach. Um but it's always there for us if we need it. It was originally, I, it was, I was working on a commission for a writer and this piece originally came from, it kind of mutated out of that. And the, it was coupled with some text that she had written. And I, I'm trying to remember the exact text. I should have come prepared, but it was something like, we'll try again tomorrow. I really, I really enjoyed that text. It was, it was her text, um, but I kind of wanted to expand on the poetics of the space and the, the possibilities of interpretation. So um, it kind of moved in a different direction. I think for a long time, I've been really fascinated with how you can exist in alternative spaces within your mind. And this one is sort of a, an image that could take you to a place where you would be with someone and you, would, you wouldn't you would feel alone anymore. 